passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, what's up? Uh, nothing. I'm uh, having some people over on Saturday. A little barbecue in my place. And most of my time spent the week is cleaning. I get it. I get it. Summertime, <laughs> hangouts, and uh, we're just waiting for training camp right now. We really mm-hmm. are just waiting for training camp. But I will say this, this off season or in between summer break, I feel like it is actually flying by a little bit for the Bengals. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, somebody told me two weeks until training camp and my immediate reaction was, no way. I was like, nah, crap. Yeah, <laughs> It's flying by, which is great for for content and getting stuff and not being in this dead period as long as we are but uh not as great for i was hoping to i just feel like this at the end of the summer is coming my favorite season hot controversial take i i am so i cannot believe your ranking i'm I'm just here to say spring at number two is wild to me well okay well two things one it ends the seasonal effective problem i have with winter i i get that warmth and uh i don't really get sad or all of that in the winter but i do just feel like Bleh. and then that first day that's like 75 is so nice um i could definitely see the argument for fall higher i think spring fall same tier um honestly tier breaker my birthday's in spring <laughs> that okay then that's the reason spring moves up because me, <laughs> me personally i'm in august um uh birthday so i should love summer it should be number one but here's the thing about august it falls so close to fall 
it's, it's just fall. you know it's right there so i'm i'm more of a fall girl i think football is the best time of year i saw a tiktok the other day and it had the uh the fox intro to the nfl and it just made me think oh october weather those Sunday games nfl is on maybe the bengals are on the road and you're watching football so i'm i'm a fall girl and uh yeah really surprised with your rankings and summer's Look, fine summer's number one that's the only time people want to be outside that much you know it's 90 degrees today okay I'm, go get I'm, ice cream it's great i was i'm recording a podcast i'm recording a podcast in the AC. after after there's no other season that you can go at like 9 p.m and get ice cream and it's okay if i go out 9 p.m in the fall and get ice cream I'm like why am i doing this i'm cold here's the thing pendleton parlor is right across the street so maybe oh, i'll i'll head down there after we record mm-hmm. because now i need to go get ice cream but yeah you know that that's your rankings right now and and that's fine you know what uh, it, it beats the quarterback rankings right now because they're <laughs> they are all over the place i saw one right before we we got on here and i was like you know what this guy it's actually a pretty good ranking i think he had uh patrick mahomes first joe burrow second which is fine um uh josh allen third jalen hurts four sure. and then you get the justin herberts and the lamar jacksons and everything like that and i'm i thought you know what all the rankings i see on this app every day when it comes to positional groups i was i was okay with that but uh that's where we're at right now and we're just ready for training camp as you mentioned more content the players are going to get there um, I still feel I don't really think my thoughts have changed, but when it comes to contract extensions, I, I feel like it's going to be a training camp situation, at least with Joe Burrow. Um, and speaking of Joe Burrow, we're going to get into our player profile with Luana Rumo next. But with with uh, Joe, it's it's kind of a semi normal. We're, we're two weeks away from them reporting to training camp, normal off season for him right now, and I think that's going to be that's going to be huge. Um, it's just been it's been a it's a it's been a pretty busy off season for the last three years for him. Yeah, I don't really want to talk too much about it because I feel like once we do, you know, did, right. the append- did the appendicitis hit yet? I feel like it was it was right. pretty late July that happened. Yep. Let's don't talk about it. No normal. We're not talking about normal off seasons right now. We hope for the best when Joe, Joe reports to training camp and we'll get to all of what practice and training camp looks like when the Bengals report in a few weeks, which is really exciting. And I can't wait to see that offensively and defensively. Uh, let's go to Lou and Arumo because we said during this summertime break, we would do coordinators or even player profiles. And with Lou and Arumo, I think the fanfare and, and becoming a really one of the favorites maybe the best defensive coordinator going into the season in the NFL. I think a lot of Bengals fans would say, hey, he was number one for them last year. Uh, but personally, he's, he's one of the best in the league, and he gets the best out of his players. So I'm going to go ahead and start with him as a player profile, player coach profile. And uh, let's talk about uh, what what you, what you want to break down with Lou. Uh, honestly, I want to start with his start. I think he has one of the most interesting starts for an NFL head coach because there's – not really much, if any, nepotism involved, which means he did not, you know, play or finish college or whatever and immediately make the NFL. So uh, where he comes from is from uh, Staten Island and Wagner High School in Staten Island. He went to Wagner College, got a degree in special education, and then he's the running back coach for Wagner College. He started out actually as the head coach of the junior varsity uh, at the high school and worked his way up to running back coach at Wagner. Then he went to Syracuse to be a GA. He was the Marine Academy defensive coordinator. He went to Harvard, was the assistant head coach, defensive backs coach, Marshall, Purdue. And then he finally made it to the NFL. That was 22 years after he got his job in college. He finally 
made it 23 years that he made it to the NFL as the defensive back coach for the Dolphins. He had to be an interim defensive coordinator, then was defensive backs coach for the Giants, and then finally to Cincinnati. And I still remember nobody was happy with that one. They all – I can't remember who everybody wanted when he first got hired, mm-hmm. but it was very much not him. It was, can't we get somebody with you know more experience, more – which relative experience. This guy has coached at every level from JV to the NFL and has been do- did it for – 30 years by the time he got his job with the Bengals, which is why he's an older coordinator. Uh, He had to work his way up from nothing. And I think it shows at times, you know, we talk about experience and how he may not have been experienced in the NFL when he got hired in to the Bengals, but he had so much experience at different levels. And I think that's what sometimes shows up with. He could just pull something. He doesn't have like, a traditional like we run this system and that's all we do it feels like he's done everything so he could just pull something like when they went against the titans in the 21 divisional round uh he just pulls out the 6-1 tilt front uh which bill belichick and vic fangio made popular a few years prior but that very much felt to me like yeah he could just he could just do that. You know, he's got experience teaching all different levels. He's got experience coaching all different levels and where his system and defensive mind comes from seems to be just so scattered and throughout there and varied. And I think that's something that I appreciate. I like that. I like that. He worked his way up. He had all this experience at all these different levels where he probably picked a whole bunch of stuff up. I, when you're, I assume coaching Marine Academy and uh, Harvard and all these other places, you're not seeing NFL offenses. So when you don't see a traditional pro spread, pass the ball 60% of the time offense, he knew what to do. And when you do see that, he also knew what to do because in college and high school, they there's teams that'll run the air raid and throw the ball 80% of the time. So where does that, where does that lend? 2021 AFC championship game. Where is drop eight super popular college? Why? Because of the air raid and all the quick passing. So he was trying to get Mahomes to hold the ball a little bit. He's trying to also contain him within the pocket. I think yeah, it's not to say that's exactly where he got it from when he was coaching in college or coaching in high school. I just think all of that experience gives him the ability to make a switch, make a flip, do something to just throw an offense off its game because he has the experience all these different levels. And when I, I get asked often, like, what is Lou Anarumo's scheme? It's like, whatever. It, it's whatever the off, whatever offense he wants to stop. He's a game plan coordinator. I think during the season, it's a little bit more rigid of like, not fully rigid, but just like they do like to get into these odd fronts, which means nose tackle DJ reader head up over the center. And then he's going to, take away two gaps and then you've got everybody else working around him in that three, four. So they'll get into that four, two nickel. They'll get into a three or a a five, one nickel already. This is more rigid, but that's like what they stick to. And it's already like four different fronts just at the start of trying to explain it. And the coverage is it just runs everything. It runs cover two at a higher rate than a lot of defensive coordinators, along with Steve Spagnuolo does that Um, a few. It feels like a few of the better defensive coordinators are leaning into that. So I don't think that's a scheme thing though. I, I think he likes it, but I don't think if you asked him like, what, what's your scheme? And he wouldn't say Tampa too. Like he's Raheem Morris in the early two thousands or, you know, Lovey Smith or somebody. Uh, I think he, 
think it's just very much I go by my personnel and what the offense I'm trying to stop does. So they're very adaptable. The scheme of the Bengals really to me is kind of chameleon. Just, you know, they get thrown into there and then how do they adapt to take on uh, the offense? I almost think of it for the Pokemon people. (laughs) Like Ditto, because Ditto's a Pokemon that when you, it takes a turn and then it just turns into the Pokemon that's fighting. So that's kind of like who in a room he goes out there. What is he? Nah, this week I'm Charizard. <laughs> I don't know. I'm no clue what you're talking about right now. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's Pokemon. for that's that's for that's for Pokemon fans out there. Okay. Um, that could be nobody that's right? listening to this at the while it's live. Yeah, we're fan uh, friends of the show, Pokemon. Pokemon, yeah. Keep going. Um, yeah, well, I do think while they have DJ Reader, the philosophy is basically to always pre- – he's able to do, I think, the two most important things that a defense can do. Limit explosive plays because he's going to always keep the shell of the defense there and play over the top and limit that as long as there's no busts or something. It's not a gambling defense really. But also, he limits efficiency both in the run and pass game because, and this is why I do think DJ Reader is the most important player on the defense, because of Reader. Because you don't need to commit stuff to the run game when you have Reader. So he's taking away two gaps. What does that do? Instead of putting a guy in that second gap, you can let that guy go back and limit the explosive plays. And Reader's so good that it limits the run game efficiency. So your early down efficiency works for the defense that they're stopping that. And then they're also stopping the explosive plays and then also keeping the offense off schedule. You don't want to let the offense get to second and four, uh, third and one type situations too often. And they do a good job of that. So I, I just, I really like Lou and as a defensive coordinator. I think he's one of the best out there, if not the best, especially now that, um, the last one got a job. Well, I guess the Eagles one did too. But uh, yeah, the 49ers, I can't think of his name right. D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico Ryans got a job. So maybe he is the best defensive coordinator. It's him or Dan Quinn over the past couple of years. And I do think that the playoff performance from the Minimo lends itself to maybe giving him a good argument, but I'm not here to rank defensive coordinators. I am here to wax poetically about Luana Rumo and the scheme of the Cincinnati Bengals defense. There's more I want to get to, and we're actually – it's going to transfer to our second segment. And I'm sure Bengals fans are okay hearing more uh, hearing more about Luana Rumo, and we're going to get into kind of his defensive styles. And I actually asked Twitter for some of their Luana Rumo games over the last few years and uh, received a lot of good answers because it's really hard to just pick one. And I know it's really easy for a lot of Bengals fans to say, oh – it has to be the AFC championship game the first time against Patrick Mahomes in the second half, how they were able to turn that on twice. Honestly, you go back to the January game, uh, the day that they, they clinched the AFC North uh, a year ago and what he was able to do in the second half. And that's just kind of been Lou Anarumo. Um, There's a, a few more regular season games in 2022. I do want to get to, but you brought up a really good point. Um, I want to say that Lou Anarumo, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, when it comes to Zach Taylor hiring his staff, because Zach was officially hired later because of the Super Bowl with the Rams. And he's adding his staff later. Other, you know, you're, you're getting guys hired here and there while Zach is still in the playoffs. Zach is going to the Super Bowl, and then he's finally getting his staff together. And I want to say Lou is late March. And uh, maybe the sixth or seventh pick for Zach Taylor when it comes to the defensive coordinator. But 
was Jack Del Rio one of the guys? That's too? who I thought it was. That's who I thought Bengals fans all wanted was Jack Del Rio. And well, he hasn't been a better defensive coordinator than Lou Anarumo over that time period. Yeah, it, it's absolutely wild. I, I want to go back to his first year, Lou's first year in Cincinnati, because obviously it was the no offense to the pieces, but the majority of the pieces that he had, um, it was almost like just preach patience. It's coming with Lou Anarumo. Um, you know, you, you get better players, you draft them, you get them in free agency. Obviously getting DJ Reader in the offseason of 2020 uh, was huge too. But, you know, what, what did you think about when he was here his first season? Yes, first two years, I think he, like Zach, got better as time went on, but he also got better players. Uh, he was always dealt kind of the bad hand of uh trying to make everything work um it felt to me like i think what i talk about with the chameleon and everything about you know adapting to the offense early on it did feel a little bit like well what's the identity of the defense and now the identity is to match with the offense and whatnot but when you don't have those players what's your identity on defense eh, just kind of moving around it's sometimes it's this and sometimes it's that sometimes it didn't really feel like he had one the first year and i think the first two years i think it was that third year that really felt like everything started to come together um and credit to the Bengals front office for keeping him around because it was you know, a very popular thing to think that he was gone after the second year, uh, Joe Burrow's rookie year. So, yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan in his first year or really his second year, but early on in his third year, I remember, I think it was like week three or week two, I, I wrote an article that was basically like, this defense is legit. Like this, this defense, they're not just a flash in the pan type thing. They're not just doing something that's kind of gimmicky. This is a legitimate defense. He got his guys and everything looks good. It looks better than I thought it was going to. All right. We're going to have more next when it comes to just looking over the last few seasons with Lou Anarumo. And it's absolutely wild to think that he's, he's going to be back as the coordinator. Um, you know, I definitely think a lot of teams around the NFL when it comes to head coaching jobs really missed out on Lou. And uh, that's a benefit for the Bengals because he's back. And that's absolutely huge on, on the defensive side of the ball. But we'll get to that next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata.
We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Love talking Lou and Arumo. As we mentioned before, training camp is a few weeks away, which will be really exciting to talk about the breakdown, position battles, all the camp quotes when we get there. But right now we're doing some Bengals profiles, and I'm really excited to continue this conversation with Lou and Arumo. I put it out on social media for, for people to pick a few games, and we'll get to those in just a moment. But let's just start with Patrick Mahomes as a whole. When it comes to those matchups, and and I would love to actually, you know, going back to listen to Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, when they talk about this matchup with Luana Romo on the sideline and what that's really like for them in the first and second half. But why is Lou so good with Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, I I think he talked about this on the Pat McAfee show. When you face great quarterbacks, the biggest thing is to just not let them know what you're doing and to get into a rhythm. Is to throw them off their game just a little bit. Just pat the ball one time. You know, just why am I seeing this type of thing right now? Like, what is what are they doing? Or you know, just make them uncomfortable. All of those issues and match up with the other personnel too. Not just Mahomes, but how do you deal with Kelsey? How do you deal with the run game? How do you deal with Andy Reid's offense? How do you deal with these wide receivers? And especially in 2021, how do you deal with Tyreek Hill? Uh, I think he's done. Is it the best, probably the best job against the chiefs out of anybody the past two years? Uh, it, it has I mean, three of those games lose one and even, yeah, even the one you lose, what did they score? 27, I think. It was an insane amount. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just being able to do stuff that throws the Chiefs offense and Patrick Mahomes off their game. Obviously, 2021, the big thing, everybody, I think, has talked a lot about it. Uh, not just drop eight, but leaving the spy as your eighth dropper. You're rushing three. You're also, hasn't talked about as much, but every time, Travis Kelsey was attached to the tackle or in line or close to the formation. They used whoever was going to spy to just jam the crap out of him. Just don't let him off the ball. Let's ruin the timing of this offense. Let's just beat up Travis Kelsey every single snap. And then have Trey Flowers, who's the size of a linebacker, also beat him up after <laughs> Sam Hubbard's done with him so that you're getting – two eyes on him, sometimes three, and you're really going to deal with him that way. And you're always going to have a guy watching Tyreek Hill. They actually had a cool coverage call uh, that uh, Coach Vass talked about on YouTube with me. I was a special guest, but uh, it was every time Tyreek Hill got in the slot, the safety would get into quarters, which would mean that he's going to take, if Tyreek Hill goes deep, they're going to be on a bracket on Hill. But if Tyreek Hill lined up outside, they got into halves, uh, but this was man coverage, so two man, essentially. And what does that do? It gives you a guy over the top of Tyreek Hill. So what does the guy on Tyreek Hill have to do? Just cover underneath every time. Like, no matter where he goes, we're going to have a call on that side of the field so that he has a guy over the top, a safety over the top, and you just have to worry about everything underneath. And I think it really helped in slowing him down and the explosive this explosive offense of the chiefs down in that game, really cool game from him. And then he, he does almost as well in the next year's AFC championship game. It's almost hard to talk about some of these regular season games because it feels like all of his best work has been in the playoffs, including the super bowl where he did a great job in the super bowl too. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I think a lot of with slowing down Tyree, uh, slowing down the Chiefs, slowing down, Josh Allen and the Bills slowing down Matt Stafford and the Rams has just been do something that they're not expecting that will throw them off of their game. And he's done that 
every matchup, even though he's faced the Chiefs three times before that AFC Championship game, still could pull some stuff out and just force maybe not a turnover, but an incomplete pass and a punt, something like that. Just get the ball back, force a turnover because punts essentially are turn force a punt though end the offensive series by doing something unexpected and making them react to that. I think he just does a great job of game planning for opponents and taking away what they want to do. All right, Wheeler, we actually, uh, the Bills playoff game, and I know you just mentioned it with Josh Allen uh, going into that game and and the elements that both sides of the ball were going to face, and you can even say the Buffalo Bills too. Um, Is there anything else that really stands out for you personally when you think about that divisional game against the Bills? Yeah, because he was bringing pressure uh, from Canada, basically, you know, like all the way out there. Like they were not lining up and blitzing. They were Mike Hilton type or Von Bell or somebody would be way out uh, near the numbers of the field. And then on the step of the ball, go just sprint. And that's a way that I think the Bills missed an opportunity. And the Bengals took advantage of this weather. You're not going to get the great get off that you want as a defense. So you can't just rush for and expect them to get home. Uh, This also the bills offensive line and Josh Allen never accounted for this guy in the protection. So he always came through clean unless there was just some savvy, like offensive lineman or running back or whoever tight end that just like, Oh shoot, that guy's coming, but it wouldn't be like they're planning for that guy coming. They're coming from far enough away that they never got planned for everything slowed down a little bit for, because of the snow. And I think that was the biggest thing for me, at least watching was just, they stopped the run game. Like they seem to always be able to do. And then when it comes to the pass game, when they got into the situations, he figured out or just knew that they wouldn't account for these guys blitzing. If he sends them their free rushers and uh, sent those and worked out perfectly. I, I just think that was the biggest thing in stopping the bills offense other than players playing well obviously players have to play well like that's the biggest part too you could credit some of that to him but eli apple and cam taylor Britt doing a good job on stefan Diggs, dj reader and the defensive line slowing down the run game and not letting uh josh allen run around and make plays i think that's all super important but i think when it comes to the defensive coordinator schematic part of this a lot of that came from sending pressure from very far away that they were not accounting for and it was always getting home I think you you bring up a good point when it comes to the players. You have the the players, the players that believe in what you're saying. You have Lou and Arumo. It's a great mix together um, because you look at what he's able to do. We were talking about Patrick Mahomes earlier, and, and you talk about you know shutting down Travis Kelsey. A lot of people are like, why don't other teams take that play for their playbook when they're facing the Kansas City Chiefs? It's you don't have the same players, and you don't have Lou and Arumo, so you know it really doesn't mix well when when other teams in the AFC West are like. Mm, Let's try that. Let's do exactly what the Cincinnati Bengals do, and let's shut down Patrick Mahomes the way he does. It just doesn't work out the same. And the Bengals couldn't even do it the next time because the Chiefs were ready for that change. So they start moving Kelsey into stacks. They start sending him out wide, so you can't do that type of thing. And also, the Chiefs and Bills, but I think it was mainly the Chiefs. I have to uh, rewatch the game, but they kind of stole the Cincinnati game plan against the Bills in the regular season a little bit. Like, you know, that that was a good idea to stop a mobile quarterback. Let's only rush three. Let's have a guy spy. And when Josh Allen tries to run away, we'll go get him. 
And that was kind of what the Bengals did to Mahomes. So they took an element out of that. And I think the Bills did it a little bit too, just because why wouldn't you? This was how the only way the Chiefs offense was stopped before. So they're going to try it on him in that game. And I think that was part of the interesting, interestingly low scoring in that Bills Chiefs regular season game. Uh, this one I, I actually didn't think about, and you can correct me if you feel differently about it. Bengals Mike says the 2020 Steelers game. That felt like the turnaround to this day. For me personally, I think about Ryan Finley just running for his life the whole game, uh, and, and they're able to win it. And if you remember, the Steelers were on a nice run to begin the season. They lost the week before, and I think a lot of people said there's no way they're going to lose to Cincinnati on Monday Night Football with their third-string quarterback out there. Muppet, uh, Muppet defensively. It was. And it was, it did feel like the turnaround. And the thing, the image that always stands out for me personally is the Von Bell hit. Yeah. Uh, the Von Bell on Juju. Did anything defensively kind of stand out for you? Or are you like, hmm, maybe it was a game or something? Yeah, I think when we talk about schematically, no. Like nothing really stood out for me. But yeah. what did stand out, the physicality and how they match the steel. Like we are not going to get pushed around. We are not, this is not you know, the Bengals versus Steelers of old, or the Steelers are going to, you know, get physical, get, you know, toe the line. <laughs> I'm sure some people know what I mean there, uh, but, you know, get real physical. Does it, you know, get stay within the realms of legality? Not always. Uh, but the Bengals in that game punched them in the mouth and the Steelers didn't have a response and they just kept hitting. And I think, obviously, the biggest one was the Von Bell hit on Juju Smith-Schuster. It just, I think that felt very much like a turning point. It wasn't anything schematic. It was just very much, the Bengals defense is going to be physical. This Bengals team is not the Bengals team that you're used to. This is the Bengals team that's going to punch you back. They're going to try to take it to you. And they're going to try to, you know, intimidate, express uh exert their will on the offense just everything you can think of with the physicality part of football i think that showed it in that 2020 steelers game i don't think it was there's a little bit you could take away though because i think this Bengals defense since that game specifically has always done a good job of tackling and has always been physical i think that was uh do you remember the was it spaces that all the titans people were saying they were a finesse team yeah you just watching the offense <laughs> and the offense still, like, it was, even that's dicey to call it that, but they came out and that defense just showed them like, it's not a finesse defense for sure. Like this defense, they're going to hit, they're going to play the run. They're going to get physical. They're going to be tough. And I think that's the main thing I could take away from the 2020 Steelers game is, is like this Bengals defense is tough. Yeah, and and you get that I'm sure from Lou and Ramon, the coaching staff, and what they're what they're preaching at practice, and it just it did uh, overall. I mean, I I don't even have to point on the defensive side of the ball, but it did feel like a change uh, for Zach Taylor when it comes to prime time and overall for the coaching staff and that that new staff because they were only in year two. Um, and then obviously Joe Burrow was injured and, and he's going to be rehab and you don't know what the next year is going to look like. And of course they go to the Super Bowl the next year. Um, we'll get to another one. And you guys had plenty of games and I actually want to continue this conversation because there's a lot of different games to point out. I know the popular opinion was the 2021 AFC championship game with Kansas City, but I feel like we've had on that enough. Um, you mentioned the Titans. Uh, you could point to the divisional round and I think you could even look at the regular season game against the Titans, when it comes to Derrick Henry, if you remember that divisional round, it was Derrick Henry's return. And all you heard leading up to the divisional game was Derrick Henry's back. Oh, no. 
can Cincinnati stop them? What's that going to look like? And uh, of course, defensively turnover to um, in the game, Bengals get the ball back, set themselves up for the game winning field goal. You have that in the divisional round and then you also stop him. Uh, it was absolutely crazy watching this defense stop Derrick Henry in the regular season game last year too. But overall, when you look back at those games against Tennessee, you know, what did you like about those matchups? Like I mentioned, uh, he changes the front and the entire identity of the defense just to play against Tennessee in that divisional game. I do think that in the regular season game, he didn't have to really sell out as hard because the Titans offensive line wasn't as good anymore. They lost mm-hmm. Taylor Lewan. They lost the right tackle. It was, you know, it was a hodgepodge of guys <laughs> and they didn't have AJ Brown anymore either. So it was kind of like a not as good Titans team, but it was still, I think the one thing that I just mentioned was all the corners were still physical. All the corners could tackle Henry. Mike Hilton made like three stops on Derrick Henry in that game. The five foot nine guy, uh, just going in there and making stops against Derrick Henry. I don't know if not every defense has a Mike Hilton and not every defense wants to use him against a team like the Titans. They might want to pull him out of there and put in a guy that's bigger. But I think both Hilton and, and Rumo just do a good job of getting to play physically and make these stops. Uh, I, my favorite games uh, – I think I've basically expressed it is just the two parter. Like it, it feels cheap to say both, but it's the Titans game. Then the chiefs game in the playoff run. I just think that everything he's shown in the Titans game, all this fun stuff, all this crazy exotic different stuff he did in the Titans game to stop the run goes out the window. And now he's doing everything to stop the pass. It's just, <laughs> it, there's no – that game – those two games more than any are just like the craziest difference between two different uh, games that you'll see. I think a lot of defensive coordinators, I feel like you could trace their roots and like, well, they come from this tra- – like Dan Quinn comes from a Pete Carroll tree, so he's going to do similar things to Pete Carroll. It's like the most similar defense that you could find to Lou Anarumo is like the Brent Venables Clemson defense or something. <laughs> Uh, and that's might not even be true. I don't know. I'm not a college expert, but no, it's just like the, it's not common to see that in the NFL, this type of defense go. I, I mean, maybe your closest is like what Mike Vrabel can sometimes do in the playoffs, but I think Luna Moon has done it to a better level. He made a Super Bowl doing it. Yeah, I, I want to get to two more games, and I promise Luna Room. This is a Luna Room pod, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because, look, like I said before, we're on summer break right now for the Cincinnati Bengals. Training camp's going to happen in a couple weeks. Uh, but one of my favorite things about, and I don't know if we talk about it enough, and it's obviously offensive because I want to bring up Joe Burrow, but in that Titans divisional game from last year, if you remember Joe Burrow after they beat the Raiders in the first playoff game, he was pretty much like, it's all business, like whatever, goes in the locker room. Yeah, we did it. Cool. Let's move on to the next round. The Titans game after they won, the way he was so excited when they got off the field was like, okay, now we're here. And, and you know what? We might go to the Super Bowl. You get one big matchup with the with the Kansas City Chiefs the next week at Arrowhead. And uh, that Titans game, I feel like we were – we talked so much about the AFC Championship games and honestly back-to-back years with the Chiefs that it, it's easy to kind of forget what happened in the Titans game. But overall, just um, really impressed not only with Joe Burrow getting hit nine times and, and getting right back up, but also with the defense of matchup with Luana Rimmel. But two more games, and then we're going to move on to a couple other things um want to hit on in this podcast on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. <laughs> 
This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Continuing the defensive conversation, our Bengals profile this week. We're moving over to the coaching side, defensive coordinator Luan Romo. Good to have him back on the coaching staff. And honestly, good to have uh, the whole coaching staff back going into the 2023 season. That's absolutely huge for Zach Taylor and his crew. Um, I, I asked social media out on Twitter um, earlier in the week, and I said, hey, we're going to hit on Luan Romo. Do you have any games that kind of stand out that you that you really liked from Lou? Um, outside of the Kansas City game, Games, the playoff games. Some people said uh, the Bucks game, the Tampa Bucks game, which I feel like it was a tale of two halves. And we saw that a lot uh, going over the last two years, really. And, and honestly, even in, in the Kansas City games, did anything stand out for you in the second half of that um, going up against Tom Brady? They ran some funky pressures. And I think it was less attacking Tom Brady and more attacking that makeshift bad offensive line mm-hmm. and just being able to get home with those. Um, I don't think there was anything too crazy to take away from it. I'll be honest. I think it was some turnover luck, but also forcing the turnovers, which is also, it feels like an emphasis from and Rumo and the defensive staff with the way they scrape at the ball and do all that stuff. But the main, I remember the main thing I took away defensively from that game was like, oh man, like that was a fun stunt. That was a fun, just small wrinkles in there thrown in there. And he doesn't do it all the time. And I think it was a little bit to specifically attack. Look, this Bucks offensive line, there you haven't worked together very often. They're not that great. Uh, let's try to stress their communication and try to stress their ability as offensive linemen. Um, when it comes to the Brady part of that, I just think Brady behind that offensive line, he, he didn't trust it too much. I think that was a lot of the issue and you can see it in a few different games, but yeah, it, it's a, it was a, a great game. I just, it's probably not in my top three. It was one of the games that uh, social media picked when it comes to the second half and you feel like it was a little, little bit of luck on some of those turnovers. I think it's a Jermaine Pratt. I just think turnover luck is a phrase I would use because they are scraping at the ball the entire game. And it just so happened. All of them happened in the second half type of deal. Yeah. I think a lot, it was crazy. If you go back to that first half, a lot of people were like, everything was going wrong. And I think if you would have told me the final score, I'd have been like, no, nah, not this week. Just not going to happen for the Bengals. They're probably going to take the L. Everything was going wrong on both sides of the ball. And then they found a way to bounce back in the second half. Um, Austin said the Patriots game. Um, oh man. I mean, like the main thing I think of with the Patriots game was the ending. Uh, and how they forced that fumble. Think of the first half and then also think about the first half. Yeah, it was a good first half, a good end. Um, Again, I don't know what didn't really (laughs) stick too much out with me. It's it's hitting the same points, though. They played physical. They tried to take away some of what the Patriots like to do um, when that comes to the run game and trying to stifle that a bit. I think they're fairly successful with that. And then the big one is like we just mentioned with the Bucks, trying to force that turnover, get the ball out, force the fumble. And they did it at the most important time in that game because they forced the fumble on um, Ramondre Stevenson basically to end the game in the fourth quarter, last few minutes. 
It's, I just want to know what Luana Remo told those guys. And I'm sure one of the defensive players, they said it, but it was just such a wild ending for them to, it, it felt like that game was 5 million years long because yes. Joe Burrow went off on their defense in the first half and breaking all kinds of records versus Bill Belichick. And the second half, Joe Burrow had turnovers, but they weren't Joe's fault. I don't feel like they were. I feel like there was a little bit of miscommunication. Um, and then I know Tyler Boyd was still semi-injured and he was out there playing. But but overall, defensively, I just want to know what Luana Romo told those guys when they went back out there because it's absolutely crazy how things worked out. I, I definitely thought, I'm like, oh, there you go. Patriots going to win this game. Uh, they lost Lyle Collins in an injury earlier in the game. And it just felt like wasn't their week. So that win streak... I, I know we look back on 2021 a lot for this team and how special it was. I don't think I, I was able to appreciate the win streak the Cincinnati Bengals had going into last year and, and what they were able to do after that Monday night football game against the Cleveland Browns, honestly. And, and that can go for both sides of the ball. So did nobody mention 2021 Baltimore? I didn't see a Baltimore. I did Ooh. not see a 2021 Baltimore. Go ahead. You, you Schematically, I found that one interesting because they did – the game plan to start to basically stifle the 2021 Ravens with Lamar uh, that the dolphins then cranked up to like <laughs> 250 or something, but almost way more than normal. I'm not going to give a percentage or anything because I don't know, but way more than normal. They were lining up and just zero blitz, which is just everybody, but it was called uh, hot droppers. It's called, I think a rain check is the terminology for it. So you're, what rain would be is both the linebackers that are blitzing. Um, if you, if the center comes to you, you hit him and then just drop back into coverage. And Lunar was actually, that's been a part of his defense for a while. That's what Justin Fields threw that interception on in 2021, but basically occupy that guy and get back. And then if the center doesn't come to you blitz because you're either coming free or a running back's going to try to pick you up. And they did such a good job on the Ravens passing game in that game where it, the Ravens offense, whether that's a Greg Roman, Lamar Jackson, or a, the center, they just had no answer for basically what Wink Martindale loves doing on the other side when he was the defense coordinator there and just sending everybody send the house at them. And Aaron was a little bit more cautious with it because he drops guys out when they get picked up. But I thought that was one of the more interesting schematic ones because it, it was a game plan game. They're not going to use that against everybody. It was specifically like, this is how we're going to stop the Ravens this week. Like I think going into that game, I believe the first 2021 Ravens game, I think that was in Baltimore. Could be it wrong. Was. Okay. And they were favorites. They're pretty good favorites. Yeah. Uh, so this was basically looking back. It's funny to think that, but they were the underdogs. This was punching up, trying to take down who was, the king of the North at the time. I think uh, if you asked anybody before the 2021 season, it was like, who's going to win the division? And I think everybody would kind of go like probably Baltimore. Uh, certainly wasn't the Bengals at the time. I think their win total in Vegas preseason was probably like four and a half. Or like, it, it really was. I mean, maybe five, but yeah. they definitely, a lot of people are like down on, on Cincinnati going into the season. But yeah, they did all those blitzes and dropping that guy out in the middle when they got matched. And then the Dolphins cranked that up to 11 on Thursday Night Football the next week. And it felt like everybody wrote about it. But And it's not to say that the Dolphins didn't deserve credit because they did. Because they took the idea and they said, hey, let's just do that on steroids. Let's go crazy Jeez. with it. 
I yeah, forgot every all about snap, him. Every snap was basically Brian Flores sending the house, and Baltimore had no answer. But it was shown in the past week by the Bengals just like lining up, doing that same exact type of blitz, and Baltimore having no answer then. It was just Brian Flores went crazy with it and deserved credit. I think he deserved a lot of credit for going to that. But I just think Lunar from deserve his own little credit too for being the one to figure out like, hey, that's that's how you stop this Ravens offense. I know everybody is scared that if you send the house, Lamar Jackson's gonna make one guy miss and go for a touchdown. Just play contain, send the blitz. Somebody's coming free. They don't block it right. That's wild. It feels like years ago when that uh, Thursday night football game happened with the Dolphins and the Ravens. But yeah, no, that's a really good game to think about. And honestly, you could probably go back to, um, you know, one of the Steelers matchups too in 2021. When you think about Lou Anarumo, I mean, there's so many games, honestly, but I know that the top of everyone's list is always going to be the playoff games or the big matchups with, you know, the highest AFC contenders. You look at the Bills, you look at Kansas City. Um, I know we, we pointed out Titans, but is there anything else? Because we talked Lou Anarumo for almost 45 I minutes. I, I think that's it. Are I you think... Lou Anarumo'd out? <sighs> I think, I think I've hit everything we I wanted to hit. I will say... I do think the regular season game I would go to would be that Ravens one that nobody mentioned. Like that is the game just because when I think of him, I think of him as a game plan guy. And that was specifically a game plan to stop that offense. All right. Well, we heard it here first. Uh, the Ravens game Twitter, uh, a little, little disappointed you didn't mention that. But yeah, that's everything Lou and Arumo. I think we're I think we're good on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we hit on a couple of player profiles and maybe next week we'll do a little offensive coordinator. And it doesn't feel right to just do Brian Callahan because you have Zach Taylor, you get pitcher, you get Joe Burrow. So maybe it's going to be a mixture of of the offensive play callers as a whole. And uh, we'll do that on next week's podcast, because then after that, we're about a week out from training camp and I can't wait to talk about real life training camp um, and everything that'll happen there. But one thing I do want to mention before we wrap up, uh, Kevin Huber, he called it a career. And I was a little sad and, and maybe things will change that maybe they bring Kevin back and he'll be an assistant on special teams and he can help with the punters um, because he's been around the Cincinnati Bengals forever. Uh, anything to say about Kevin Huber as he's uh, calling it a career? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> I do. Okay. Uh, yeah was how many games has he played? I think he's close to the Bengals record, right? I thought he had the Bengals record. He might have it. I can't remember. Yeah, because Clark Clark Harris was going to have it, but then he had the injury. So then uh, Kevin, he's been there almost as long as Clark has, and basically took it this year, I think. I hope we're not wrong on that. I thought he might have had it, so I brought it up. Uh, But so many games played. I mean, he's been the punter. Was it since 2009? 216 games for Kevin Huber. 216. That is a lot. How many has Clark Harris he has played? The record. He has oh, he the has record. the record. Okay. I was about to say. I'm pretty sure that's the record, but I wanted to make sure. Yeah. So most games played ever for a Bengal. I think that is worth recognizing. I think it's worth recognizing being a punter and having the job that long. I don't think that too many punters have that type of longevity with the same team. You see him move around a lot. Um, yeah, credit to both of those things. Uh, I think he's always been a great holder, been a part of a good special teams basically his entire time here. Um, and I do want to say it was 2009, I think, when he started. I'm not 100% sure on that. might have been 
I think it was 2009. I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> I don't know why I'm stuck on that. But uh, great career. I think the biggest highlight was obviously the <laughs> this wasn't he didn't even get the punt off, but when he went behind the back during the middle of the punt and made the guy miss, was that a preseason game? That was awesome. That was that was so cool. Uh, nothing has mattered since the uh, nothing matters in that play after he makes the guy miss and goes behind his back with the ball because it's super cool. And then what happened after? I think he went down. <laughs> I don't think he got that ball off, uh, but it was very. It's very awesome. And UC guy from Cincinnati. I think that's also a very cool part of it. Uh, just local, played the most games ever as a Bengal. You do wish, I think early on he was punting pretty good this year. It was, it just felt like the age caught up and he couldn't withstand the entire season anymore. And that was actually kind of true the year before too, although it happened later on that year. Um, those are all my quick thoughts on Kevin Huber, but great punter. Uh, good. I mean, super long Bengal. I can't even remember the last punter before Huber. Just. It, it was, um. oh my goodness. This is going to kill me. Oh my goodness. It's going to kill me. I, I really wish you wouldn't have brought that up. I'm looking at, I, I'll, I'll look it up, but yeah, that I just think great career. I think it was awesome that he made it this long got to have the record for most games played and i think we're i don't think it's the last time you'll see kevin huber with the Bengals. i think they might do like one of those might not be this year but i think you'll see ruler of the jungle kevin huber at some point i think i think that's definitely possible you know what kind of bums me out and and obviously i agree with you felt like you know early on in the season in 2022 he was doing okay it was fine um and then they made the change with chrisman and nothing against drew chrisman because i think it was a good move to to see what else you had in drew chrisman uh but at the same time i don't know if kevin huber would have kicked the ball right to the returner it was uh yeah but to Christmas credit, he had a good divisional game in the snow before that. So, you know, let's give him his flowers too. You're right. Uh, Kyle You're Larson. Right. Kyle Larson was the one before Kevin Huber. Okay. All right. Well, uh, good on Kevin. I know he did. Uh, the Bengals had a really good social media post about him and just kind of a recap of his career. Uh, Kevin even mentioned when he announced his retirement last week that uh, he'll be cheering on the Bengals in the stadium. So, uh, I, I would love to. I think he's a he, he'd be a great one to bring back and um, you know maybe add to the special teams with Darren Simmons. And I know you know when you see that Brad Robbins, um, he tweeted out something. Drew Chrisman tweeted out something about Kevin Huber. You can tell the impact right away that Kevin had on him. And, and Brad is still new um, on the club. And, and I just thought that was really telling. And uh, best wishes to Kevin Huber. But that is a wrap. This was very defense heavy. I promise we're going to focus on offense, get to a lot of Joe Burrow stuff before uh, they had to training camp in a few weeks. Uh, you're going to have everything covered when we get closer to training camp, maybe over on all Bengals. Hey, we'll see when I pick it up. <laughs> we'll see. You know, that's why you have to listen to the very I don't, I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really – yeah, James goes to the training camp. I don't really cover anything training camp. I'm watching from home or something. I don't know. 
I already said to you, we need to, maybe the Tuesday before they report, I think they report on a Wednesday, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, they'll go in and do their physicals and all all the things. Um, But we are going to, on our Tuesday podcast, and maybe we'll ask you on social media, everything we're going to hear in that first week when it comes to players reporting to training camp, we want to hear it all. Um, So we'll guess. We'll, we'll, We'll see what's going on there. We may have a special guest for next week's episode. I'm really excited about that, but you have to listen. Stay tuned. Um, as always, you can follow Bengals underscore Sands. You can follow me at LNDS Patterson. And thank you for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.